This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Very excited to have all three of you here today. Marianne is a recent um, addition to our fantastic UK Coaching team. Her passion for coaching is infectious. And I know today she's going to have a number of hats on as she's doing her PhD in this area. So, Marianne, will you um, will you introduce who we've got today lined up? Yes, definitely. I'm very, very excited to introduce two fabulous guests. I'm just checking I'm unmuted. Brilliant. <laughs> That's a good start. Uh, the first one is um, Stu Armstrong from Sport England. So he is strategic lead um, for Workforce and he... Um, I came across Stu from his, his Talent Equation podcast that he does, which has been an incredible uh, resource for me, even um, things like doing my PhD and stuff. And I've met so many incredible people through being, through getting involved with the Talent Equation podcast and through the stuff that Stu does. So that opened up an incredible um, uh, world of, you know, unstructured social learning as well for me which is brilliant so I if you're not familiar with him I really really cannot um uh encourage you enough to do so um and he, he's also a hockey coach um and then of course my other guest is uh I met again through listening to Stuart's podcast and um that's Kendall McWade from Instinctive Golf Coaching um, and Kendall has been a pro golfer for, I think, sort of 40 years experience, which I remember off by, off by heart. And he also works with the Scottish Junior golf team. And I'm, uh, there's a quick, a quick introduction to both of them, both incredible. Um, and so we've got a nice range of sports as well between us. Super, Marianne. Thanks, William. Um, I think one of the things, as I mentioned there, is for us to get an understanding. There's, you know, people who log in week after week or some people who are new today and different topics, as, as the title may have it with Curious Coaches Club, give you an opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into some topics that you may have heard on social sphere, come across in your formal education um, or, you know, sports training. So one of the things that we'd like to do, if we can get this slide up there, we'll be able to show you is... It's um, use the chat box, actually, that'd be ideal. Um, we've put up a, a little Likert scale here for you. And what we'd love to know in just, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, where your current understanding on skill acquisition is. We've got zero being never heard the term before, haven't come across it or have years ago, but really haven't dived, had, uh, had a dive in to 10. I'm spot on. And today I'm just refreshing. So if you could open your chat box, if you want to engage, absolutely up to you. Give us an understanding where you're at. Matt, thanks a million. Starting the ball rolling there. Between seven and eight on current understanding around Skillac. Brilliant. Okay, wow. Brilliant. Nice range. So the idea today in here is giving us a, a little bit of a snapshot in the first question of where people are at. Love the honesty coming in. And that'll allow us shape the session, some of the questions, dive in when needs be. Okay, brilliant. Um, the next question, and this was more of kind of to shape the answer on the back of that, what words would you use to describe skill? Take a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds even, because they may pop in straight away. Um, pop them in here, words that you use. When you're thinking about joining on to this uh, session today, different words that come in, um, ability to perform a task, yeah, adaptable, okay, brilliant. I'll also give Stuart, Marianne and Kendall an idea of where we're going um, with the language that we use in the session today to shape it and have a nice dive. 
one-on-one technique, context, transferable. Wow, okay, lots coming in here. Executed. Reaction to constraints, thanks Tommy. The word we'll dive into later. Ability to perform a task. Okay, I really appreciate your input on that. So what we're gonna try and do is Take this information that you have here. Marianne and I um, and some of our UK coaching staff will be taking any of the questions today, any of the content and shaping that for the, the connected coaches and the community to practice later in the week. But to bring us back to the session, um, Kendall, if I could come to you first. Um, like, it, you know, I've used a really basic question there to, to start us off. But from your, like, what is skill? In, in your words, from your experience, the extensive experience that you have um, on the greens and in other areas, what, what is skill? Good question, um, and thank you for the invite. Um, I know Stuart had something to do with, but it's uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, I hope we can give the guys and girls listening just something for them to go away with. But you know, my in inverted commas expertise um, has led me to to suggest that skill is something in golf that has been overlooked, and form has taken the place of that. This is particularly prevalent in golf. So form definitely is ahead of function. But skill itself to me is coming under one big umbrella and that is problem solving. That to me is what skill is. My ability to solve problems in golf with 14 different tools. See, Andy Murray's got it easy. He's got one racket. We've got 14 different rackets that we've got to figure out how to use and his court stays the same, our court keeps changing. So to me that is, there was a bit of adaptability I noticed in some of the answers there, but to me, skill is that, simply that, being able to solve the problem I'm faced with, with one of these tools, well, that's kind of it. I can go on and on and on about the various aspects that lead to that, but to me that's what skill is. Well, that gets the ball rolling, and it does already encapsulate some of the, the words, as you said, here on the side. Stu, if I was to jump to you, and then we expand it out to the, the extension of acquisition, where are you on your thoughts, or what's developed over the years to, to piece together your understanding of skill acquisition? You may be, you're with us, Stu. Oh, he may be muted. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're in. Brilliant. Thanks, uh, William. I'm back. I'm back. Did you hear my question? You um, did. You yeah, did, yeah, I did. Brilliant. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I would, I would concur with a lot of what Kendall was saying. Um, this idea of form and function, you know, um, form technique, um, and it's interesting how, when you know, just looking at the chat, you know, a lot of people are talking about technique, but I think often technique and skill are, are used interchangeably, but they're very different for me. So, technique is your action, your movement. Um, your movement possibilities and skill is the application of the movement possibility within within a context um, and so for me the idea that um, skill is about uh, how you can apply so it goes back to what Kendall was saying about problem solving how you can interpret what's happening in any kind of environment and then then that leads you then to a particular form of action that then brings about some kind of performance and the process of going through that is is really important so for me that's why i think that so i, I always use like a bit of an equation which is technique multiplied by context um or you could even go context multiplied by technique but either of those that's what creates skill for me 
Nice summary. Thanks. We'll revisit that and get a visual up and at the end of the week. Um, if I, the next slide that we have here, Stuart, if I stay on with you and, and yourself and Kendall and Marianne can maybe have a discussion on this statement. It's something that we've come across a few different times and maybe not not, um, not stated explicitly like this, but I've pieced a couple of words together. Drills don't make skills. And again, as we move on through the iterations of, of different learning and creativity and the, the problem solving um, words that we've used there, what does this statement mean to you or how can we churn this up to support the people that are here today in their environments and understanding that? Do you go or is Marianne going to start us off? Well, Marianne, I don't mind. Let's you, start, you keep going for a minute, Stuart, and, and I'll let Kendall and Marianne jump in whenever they're ready. Well, you've got me on my soapbox, Jenny, um, because I guess one of the when I started my podcast, the, one of the first episodes was the war on drills, which caused um, quite a stir. I was quite surprised by how much of a stir it created. Um, and now I, me I meant it to because it was a deliberate attempt to, um, I guess, challenge and, um, you know, kind of put, put something out there that was hopefully going to make people do a little bit of a reappraisal, have a different look at, you know, what we were talking about. And, and the reason I was, um, I wanted to make this war on drills, if you like, and I've had this sort of ongoing campaign around trying to sort of rid the coaching world of drills um, was because I just felt that um, they were almost a little bit uh, redundant, maybe, or even you know, they're just a bit unnecessary. And they certainly don't speak to skill from my perspective. Um, so uh, the challenge I put out there at the time around the idea of it is, is that um, there's this assumption that if we can isolate um uh activities uh, if we can isolate I, I, isolate sports performance and break it down into its component parts take it away from the environment work on it develop the movement capability and almost try to perfect the movement capability and then reapply it into the context we will have improved skill and what we're what we've what we're learning about skill acquisition and what increasingly um you know the the kind of the community the psychological community in particular are beginning to understand is taking yourself away from the environment can actually be enormously counterproductive because you end up learning a solution a movement solution that doesn't is robbed from its context and that the creation of the context is really really important so this idea of isolated movement and when I talk about a drill, by the way, I need to be really clear. A drill for me is something that is has absolutely no relevance to the movement. You know, it's almost pre-designed where you're going to move. And you'll see it quite a lot. You know, you see lines of children waiting their turn to have a go. And there's cones laid down. And that's, that directs which way you move. And the idea is, is if I can move like that, then eventually I'll develop the movement capabilities that will make me more skillful. The problem is you're learning something entirely different from what might be presented to you in the environment. So what we're trying to move away from is this idea of the, 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 the isolated thing, taking away the information sources that determine how we might move and the solutions that we might, might create. And so you, what you do is if you, go, if, you, if you isolate, what you end up with is people who are able to move, but they're not, but they're not doing the problem solving with the movement. So to use what Kendall was talking about, this idea that we must keep the two things quite closely connected is a really important aspect of how we might work. Hence the idea of, you know, drills don't necessarily make skills. Brilliant, Stu. I love that lead-in. Few, few nice statements there that I'm able to capture. Marianne, if I throw it over to you and I take, um, you know, some key statements that don't like. There's, there's the problem solving and the connected context. How does that look in the sports that you've been involved in, Marianne? Ah, uh, um, 
Well, if I tell you, there's a, one of the first things that really made me think about this was in paddle sports, um, and, and I'm just going to flag up that this doesn't happen now, but when I first started doing my, my um, basic skills in paddle sports, we used to practice moving water skills on flat water. And one of the things we used to do is get us to paddle along and then turn our boat and then pretend to be doing a support stroke that we would, would do on moving water. But actually, all of it, all the movements were completely different to what you actually did on moving water. Because when you, when you move to moving water, your boat turns anyway, so you don't have to do a big sweep stroke to make it turn. You, an air, this, this brace was like up in the air, so it was like an air guitar. It was about as useful as a chocolate teapot. So, you know, we, we nicknamed it the break-in fall-out manoeuvre. And you could tell people had learned to do that because they were completely incapable of actually paddling or moving water. They'd been taught out of, becoming, of being skillful. And they, they had had their focus of attention internalised to form. And it was just that I was listening to, to, to Kendall actually earlier today, just recapping, and he talks about this with dolphin where a knee is. And this is the information that I call snow. It's non-specifying information. So it's not, it's not that in, you know, it should be internal or external or near or far, but when we're skillful, it's about being, being aware of and attuned to, and actually you don't have to be consciously aware of this because animals and, and children can be incredibly skillful but to be attuned to the information that is specifying, the information that matters for performance, to be able to make decisions, and then the movement, not separating them all out. Lovely summary, yeah, that's brilliant. Kendall, anything to add from that, or anything from a, um, you know, linking of, of Stu and Marianne's point there that comes away from the, the context um, of golf, and just in general of when you have people coming to you for the first time, what kind of experiences are they experiencing with you with the mindset that you have on skill acquisition and that drills don't make, you know, they don't make skills and not you know, repeating the same pattern over again? Well, with all due respect to Stuart, Marianne and probably everywhere else listening, although I have seen some golfers commenting, um, we are the kings of drills, trust me. The most Overanalyzed, underlearned movement in the world of sport is golf, and we we will see ranges all over the country. Hopefully, in the next few weeks and months, with people doing drills constantly, and those drills have been directed, of course, by the coach, and they are again about the form, and they use logic, and they use um, information and knowledge that, that the coach has. And you have to say that it'd be very hard to argue with the fact that what we see or hear is incorrect. It's almost as if the information is correct. And logic would say then, if we fix this, then everything will be better. But unfortunately, the reality is it's not, it's not in context. It's not how we learn. And it tends to direct attention to things that are not critical. Apart from that, they're fine. <laughs> So, say, like, how have you, when you say that that's the way um, golf and your sport has been for a long time, Kettle, now how do you change that? Or how do you make a movement of, to change that mindset and, and support change in that space, having the vision that you do and the experience that you do? <laughs> uh, well, most people run quite far when they hear the name Kendall McWade because 
they know that they're not going to get what most people want from a golf lesson because people want to know what they're doing wrong. If they can do it right, they'll be better. That's the reality of it. Um, however, to me, at the heart of learning skill and changing movement is not what we can see. So there is probably the biggest thing that fascinates me is what is at the heart of that movement pattern that we're seeing? Because to attack it direct is doing it an injustice. We have got to get in behind that and find there's a movement pattern being created by something. So we all move in relation to a task, whether we're a baby sitting in a baby chair or, or as supposedly elite sports people, we move for a reason. And to just look at a technique and attack it for what we can see, knowing that it's not effective. We know it's not effective and it's not efficient. To me, isn't getting to the heart of it. And unfortunately, what is at the heart of it, for me, with my experience over the last 20 years, is all the stuff we can't see. So beliefs, concepts, attention, that is what is at the heart of it. And until we address that, unfortunately, any changes are going to be purely surface. So the golf swing now looks better, but it still can't function. Gosh, that's yeah, that's really important, encompassing a lot of what we're talking about. Um, to to maybe if I guide this question, maybe to you, Stu here. I've seen it. Alison's put it in the group there. How how about the safety factor? Do we need some introduction to the former drill before trying it out um, in anger? Um, and I guess it it links to what you were talking about, the problem solving in context, and linking to what you've just said there, Kendall. So um, you know, the 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 pre kind of conceived ideas around how something should look based on maybe they've seen it somewhere else on YouTube, they've come from another club into your space. Uh, from from the sports that you're involved with, Stu, how do you um how do you kind of address that that idea of the form before the drill and and not letting them kind of getting to a level of frustration by that exploring it on their own? Um it, it I guess it depends. There's there's quite a lot in the question you just asked me there, Jenny. Um the so this point about safety for me is a quite an interesting one. Um, I think about playgrounds. I don't see that much um, like you know kind of safety briefing happening in playgrounds where children are climbing on monkey bars and you know creating races and and looking at different ways that they can move within a space and exploring different ways of. Um, of kind of you know, dodging each other or creating chase games and that sort of stuff. I don't see the safety elements of that, and I don't see that many injuries. It might be the odd accidental one, but that would have happened anyway, regardless of any kind of safety briefing. And I don't see, uh, you know, the kind of the technique of of chase, for example, or the technique of tag being taught before children are safely allowed to be released into a playground in order to play tag in a playground. So when it comes now, I know in some sports, the context is different because there are certain sports like the one Marianne talked about canoeing, for example, where you might need to provide some kind of a safety briefing before somebody was to be able to go into a canoe because potentially if they were to capsize, they wouldn't be able to come out. I get all that. But my point being is how that those things are learned is really important. I see a lot of um, safety based drill technique stuff done. Um, and the problem you've got then is if what happens if something happens that's unexpected? What happens if something happens that is uh, is not aligned to what was taught? Does the individual have what it takes to be able to respond? Rugby is a really good example of that because you do quite a lot of very kind of isolated learning around how to say tackle because obviously that's a key area where there's 
real challenges in terms of um, in terms of safety, uh, how to tackle properly, where to put your head, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the problem is, is that, you know, you learn to tackle in a certain way and in quite a manufactured way, the ideal ta tackle technique, that's fine, great, okay, that's, that's perfect to know that. But the problem is, what if someone changes direction on you? How do you adapt? So my view is that, you know, if we were to learn it in a more organic way, in a more natural way, maybe manipulated slightly, you know, so maybe we won't be going full smash at each other, for example, you know, we might be going a bit slower, but we can still change direction. We have to learn to adapt and adjust in order to be able to tackle in a safe way. Then actually what we're doing is, is we're creating something then that's a bit more realistic. It's more representative. I used I saw somebody in the chat make reference to representation. It's more representative to uh, the kind of activity they're likely to do. And therefore, in my mind, that becomes safer because it's more like what they're going to experience. Something isolated is less like what they're going to experience. And in my mind, that can't be safer, albeit we think it's safer. It's safe. They don't get injured practicing, but they're likely to get injured in the performance. And surely that's what we're trying to make safe. So for me, that's a really important point that we should stress. That's really good. Marianne, if I could jump to you on um, linking to the back of Stuart's point and, and keeping context in mind, if, what would making um, you know, playground into a session, if you like, and that kind of movement um, and, the, and kind of unstructured play, what does that then look like in the sport that you've been involved? What's different and how will people notice or should they even notice they're in a session? Um, oh, good question. <laughs> I was thinking, um, I will add that, but I was thinking some of the stuff that Stu had talked about. And I mean, obviously, the environments that I work in, you know, would are classed as being, as classed as being high risk, you know, whether it's paddling, whether it's climbing, whether it's horses. And, um, and I think that the structure, the, the playfulness for me is um, having an environment where the person you're working with is operating, and I use this phrase quite a lot, operating from a, I wonder what will happen if perspective. So they are intentionally exploring opportunities. They're intentionally exploring something that, that they can do rather than rehearsing something. And one of the things that, that I notice more and more and more is that, that when that, that safety is used as a reason to keep these drills, safety is used as a reason to keep horses doing drills, but then the horses become explosive and they're not safe. The, that safety is used for the drills in a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that, again, used to happen for sports. They've made some big changes. And what happens is the, the people who are doing them end up relying on trying to execute a movement pattern or relying on coach telling them something to do. And they're not able to pay attention to the information and what's happening themselves. They're not able to read their horse or read the water or really understand what they can do. And so they can't make decisions that then keep them safe when they're not being coached. And a lot of adventure sports and equestrian sports are... Uh, are um, they're self-coached in many ways, so people dip into coaching, but they don't tend to only operate with a coach with them. However, um, I, some of the research that I've been doing recently, I found out that actually some of the show jumpers are saying there are people coming through who won't ride without their coach there. And, and these, these, are the, these people then, um, they're saying, are more nervous. They're the people who are going, oh, I've lost my confidence, or I used to be confident, but, I, but I'm not now, because they're not recognizing what happens before they become injured. They're not recognizing how they can make decisions, 
what they should be paying attention to. So they've kind of been, you know, they've been coached out of being competent again, you know, and I, and as a coach, to see that a couple of times, you know, early on and, and the research that I was doing in contextual experience like 25 years ago, it wasn't comfortable to what to, you know, to become aware of those patterns that I was noticing. Thanks, Marta. So, yeah. The playfulness, it's more about, and again, it's like what Kendall says, it's not what you're seeing. It's about how they are interacting rather than what they're doing. They're interacting yeah. from an, in a different place, a curi- you know, passionately curious, explorative. Mm-hmm. And, and just before we go into the half, I'm interested to hear in the back of that, you've mentioned there about the, the coach relationship or that, I will say, dependency, if, if I could allude to that. Kendall, I've heard you mention before in um, some of the webinars and podcasts, coaching for redundancy. Um, can you kind of feed on the back of those two points, Ms. Jean Marianne, and where you are with that? And again, in your sport, um, kind of, I've seen a comment here, which I thought wrapped it nicely, like having the environment um, it's just above here. Let me see here. Um, by Matt. Um, oh yeah, choosing an appropriate environment and then layering progression. So if we could link that with coaching for redundancy, what are your thoughts on that to lead us into the halfway mark, um, Kendall? Um, I think it's a it's a great ideal, the coaching for redundancy. Um, no one is yet redundant as far as I can see in golf coaching. <laughs> so it is a nice thought, but yeah, I think it's the principle, the whole thing that we're, we're trying to give ownership more and more over to the player, so a little handing the reins over to the the rider, and um, that is a slow, slow process in a game. The the interesting thing about golf is that usually from day one, we are unfortunately we are advised by our well-meaning parents and people surrounding us that dependency is almost naturally created. So my dad told me to grip like this, stand like this, swing like this, this is what I did wrong. Then my well-meaning friend did the same. And then the golf coach did a different version, but it was much more intense and and, and, um, technical. So it's almost as in golf, you're not allowed independency. Nobody hands you a golf club very seldom have I ever talked to anyone who would say this is how game has been learned, but no one hands somebody a golf club and said, over the next week, months, years, forever, we are going to just literally find out how many amazing things we can make the golf ball do with this and all of these tools. Nobody starts from that standpoint. This is how you stand, get the basics right. It's like dependency is just part of what we do. So people crave it. It's what they want all the time. You know, I'm playing poorly, go to the coach. Because from day one, that's what my dad told me. The ball did that because you lifted your head. So, okay. And then when I did keep my head down, it did that because you swung too fast. It was a never-ending. I could never get it right. So dependency was not something that was going to be open to me. And I suppose it's only again since I kind of had this little moment in 1998 that I thought, this is how I'm going to create dependency. And it, it's not simple. Well, it, it's simple. It's certainly not easy when you've spent 20 years with dependency, with people's knowledge being the thing that would drive your performance. Brilliant. Answer, sorry. No, it's not. It's brilliant. And I'm still caught up on the, the why part of 
Um, when you say like people don't come with you know a, a ball and a club and say, well, let's see what we can do with this. Why? You know, when, when it is, um, I, you know, I know I know the easy answer and I know we'll have loads of people, you know, here today who go because uh, we need to get results. We need to do the X, Y and Z. Um, but I wonder what stops us is, and giving portions of the time to explore those kind of moments, explore that creativity and give that freedom. Um, so, yeah, really nice way of wrapping that, uh, Kendall. Uh, Marianne, we've just got to half time. Half time. Um, would you be able to pick some questions? I've been seeing an array of them floating through, but I'm too engaged in the conversation. I'm going to skim back over. But have you picked out a couple of questions there that uh, we can share from the chat box? Questions, concerns, statements, some brilliant conversation um, and some links to different sports. So, yeah, would you be able to share with us? Yeah, there's some... Uh... There's some incredible questions uh, there, which is brilliant. So I'm I'm going to start with uh, with a recent one, and then and then um, sort of uh, move move back a bit. So uh, there's one from Tom um, that says, uh, "What are your thoughts on parkour in relation to skill acquisition?" Who'd like to take that one, Stuart, Kendall, Ryan? I'm happy to jump in. Um, awesome, Marianne, we. We recorded a podcast um, with Ben Strafford from Sheffield Hallam University, all about parkour. I highly recommend picking that one up. But um, um, parkour um, is, is quite an, in it's an interesting sport because it's it's very much um, about you know if you think about the environment that it's done within, um, you know it's it's an environment that has a lot of inherent danger, and yet um, it. It started as an activity uh, as being very self-directed. I mean, there is now obviously a lot of opportunities to become coached in parkour. Um, and I see some really exciting and interesting stuff done, you know, using gymnasium equipment and things along those lines. The one thing that's really interesting about parkour is inherent within it is an individual's um, an individual learning to, to understand what their uh, range of movement possibility is. So it's, can I jump that far? Can I make it and land on that thing? Can I, uh, you know, can I uh, go from this high? Can I get up there? What can I reach? What can I do? And it's very similar to, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the kind of, you know, how children sort of very naturally learn to move uh, in a range of different environments. So it has problem solving inherently built within it. And so, you know, from my perspective, the idea of the development of movement skill within an environment and an urban environment often uh, for me is you know it's quite an interesting sport from that perspective and very self-directed very reminiscent of like you know skateboarders and street sports whereby self-directed learning is very inherent uh, in the conversation you know and very much very inherent in the um, the way people engage so um, yeah that for me I think it's quite an interesting sport from that perspective to explore the idea of how skill emerges in response to people's movement within a space within an environment how they adapt to an environment and the interesting thing of you know if you look at two or three two or three people moving through a space they'll all move through that space differently they'll solve the problem differently based on their own action action possibilities one of the th challenges i have with sort of what you might call technique led coaching um, you know, and I've heard a lot of people, I can see a lot of people in the chat talking about, you know, using isolated drills to develop movement, movement capability, movement patterns. And that is that drills are fine to develop technique, but technique and skill are different. And so what's really interesting about, um, you know, parkour is it's nearly it's, it's always done within the environment. So you're always learning to move in some way representatively to how you would move in uh, in that space. And self-directed learning is very inherent to that. 
So uh, for me, they're quite an interesting. It's quite an interesting thing to explore. Brilliant, love that, Stuart. I've recently become after watching a documentary online on parkour, and they were in Hong Kong jumping over buildings and just, and not phased one bit by it. And now I'm following them on Instagram. I think I do. I think like a virtual osmotic learning thing has happening here. Thinking I can just go out and just be involved, but I was part of that old school of long lines, get it done. <laughs> so I don't know if my body can cope with that now. And um, Marianne, have you another question that we can share? I've seen a couple of brilliant ones there, but I think you can have one. Yeah, I think there's, um, I'm going to ask one that sort of is a mixture of, of quite a few, actually. So there, there seems to be quite a few people asking around, well, there's, there are two two other questions that would be good. One is like, why I feel so bad, but we'll come back to that. The other one is like, don't we need some basic movement skills to build on? Or is there, you know, are, are there fundamental movement skills that we need in order to be able to become skillful? Again, another very timely Topic. So there's there's quite a few um, people are asking similar similar questions along that line. So do you want me to answer that or have a go? Go go on. Yeah, I'm happy to join as well. So yeah. <laughs> but again, probably more than most sports, getting the basics right in golf has been deemed as one of the most critical factors, um, and and developing motor skills. So if somebody if, if I gave everyone um, just a cane and asked them to swish the cane and hit a blade of grass on the ground, but they couldn't do it, then as long as they access the right state, as long as they notice the feedback that the grass was giving them and the cane was giving them, they would slowly but surely move towards hitting the blade of grass. And that learning loop that's going on under the surface is what develops the movement patterns to me rather than if you get the movement pattern, you then develop the skill. No, as you develop the skill, then you get a movement pattern. Now, some of the best golfers in the world, I would suggest if we 3D'd them, are not moving in the most efficient manner but their ability to to use and move the club effectively is incredible. So it's that. And if I went to some of them and said, I think if we got you moving better, um, things would be even even more successful. The chances of you destroying that player are enormous, enormous. So to me, movement is always driven by the primal movements that we have as kids are there. And when, when the, the little boy is hammering your your hand with his hammer, you know, that movement pattern and learning loop is just going on all the time. So to me, you develop those rather than you teach them and you develop them through doing, just giving certain problem to solve and maybe then using some guided exploration um, to, to help them explore it in different ways. And that's to me what would evoke, but I can't even have an efficient movement pattern in my head as a golfer because some of the greatest players that I've ever walked, and how many riders I've seen. I mean, I, I was talking about Ian Hill. I mean, I, my wife and daughter are heavily into horses, and the amount of times they talk about people at like the horse of the year, how poor their technique is, and I'm thinking, hold on, they're jumping in the pleasants. You're sitting in your house, so it's because again, even in that industry, the form is so 
so strong that if you get the form right, you'll but no, you won't. You've got to be able to make the horse listen to you and vice versa. So, you know, I think we've got to watch that we don't let again movement patterns overcome the fact that we've got a problem to solve and let that evoke, you know, movements emerge from from uh, problem solving for me. I I'm so pleased you brought that up actually. That was that was the bit that I was going to sort of come to this idea that you know we need perfect biomechanics and actually one of the things certainly we found with horses themselves is as soon as you get into that perfect biomechanics headset and you repeat the same biomechanics then you break the horse they get stress fractures they get strain injuries because horses and people have evolved to be very adaptive in their movement so as soon as you decide there is a perfect way of going and you repeat that um, you're going to break anyway the minute you've decided something's perfect and has to be repeated you kind of you know you're in you're in deep trouble um but the other, the other thing I, I that was one of the other things that really used to drive me that is i would listen especially with the horses and people talking about you know people like um jeff billington and they'd go he's got shocking technique and i'd be like but he's one of the best riders in the whole world and all the best riders have got their own technique and you go well maybe that's what works for them maybe that's how they are able to organize themselves to be able to pick up information to be able to communicate with their horse um, and it, yeah, it was, it, it's, and then you start looking at some other sports and go, hmm, there's a bit of a pattern with, with elite athletes being criticized for having poor technique. No, sorry to cut across you there. We have the video up here um, so we can actually see this in action and we can start to apply it. I think, you know, just uh, before we kick it off here, lots of stuff going on in the chat box that we will look and, and uh, we're not ignoring it here. But let's let's see a snapshot here. And Kendall Stewart, if you want to take us through this video after some thoughts around it in practice. So, um, so we'll get a plate I, here. Oh, brief first. Yeah, Kendall, sure thing. I was just going to say that. I mean, there's a lot of preamble before we get to the kind of doing. I'm happy to let you, I've just noticed it's four minutes, 24. If you're happy to listen to me talking nonsense for two of those four minutes, then I'm, I'm okay with that. But if you want to skip to two minutes into it, you'll get to the actual doing, but just whatever you're comfortable with. Brilliant. And we'll, we'll jump to two minutes in when, it, um, <laughs> when we play up there and uh, get right into the juicy stuff. <laughs> Morning. And do that, how are you going to actually control the clock and entrance the clock to actually get it off? I'll go and demonstrate. I'll Okay, okay. All I can do is just walking, walking, don't
You could you could stop that now, uh, Jenny. Super, yeah, we'll stop that. Um, give us a little bit of context on that and support. Maybe the audio wasn't as loud for everybody, but yeah, if you can just give us a summary of that and and support some of your thoughts. Sure. So um, I suppose it, skill is again back in in my experience, uh, my skill, my personal skill is my ability to use the tools to solve the problems. So. If we're going to learn experientially, which is the only way we learn, then we've got five senses we call upon to have an experience with anything. We really only use a couple in golf, and one is visual and one is kinesthetic as feel, albeit we don't need visual. Uh, we could play, but if you don't have feel, then you can't play golf. So there's the one sense that we couldn't, I've not met anyone who hasn't got that sense. So, so what I'm doing there is, um, I'm setting up every shot in the same position, but during the swing, I am changing the club's orientation. So you'd hear me saying, I opened the club. For those of you that are not golfers, I'm rotating the club so it's not aiming straight. It's actually aiming to the right. I'm doing that intentionally. And then when I came down to the golf ball, I kept it in that position and the ball went right of where my aim was at address. And the second one, I did the opposite. So I then closed, I made the club face aim right in the backswing. So this is pretty skillful to be able to do that. And then the ball went left intentionally. And then the last one, I didn't do anything with the club. I just paid attention and kept it where it was aiming all the time. So the reason we do that is because when I am actually moving the club and paying attention to it, I am having an experience with the club. No one else is having that experience. They're having a visual experience when they're watching me. You guys were watching me. You were having a different experience than I was having. And only through that, that, that kinesthetic experience, that feel, can I then adjust the next feeling to adjust the outcome. But none of that, nobody on the planet can see that, only me. But what does the coach do? straight in and attacks my technique, what he can see, rather than what I'm experiencing. So the question that ever comes about, I wonder how much attention Kendall is giving to this experience. What's he paying attention to? So I could pay attention to my right knee, or I could pay attention to the thing that's telling the ball what to do. So I spent 20 years paying attention to my right knee, my left shoulder, my right elbow, my right wrist, my bottom, my head, my eye, my left ear, whatever. And I've spent 20 years trying to get better at actually paying attention to the tool. And then that experience allows me to alter. And if you're looking at to, to make this a long-term project, that's what to do. If you want it to be a short-term project, get some kind of sticking plaster that somebody tells you that you need to stick on that will make you play better. And it'll just fall off. You might come back and say, I played great with that sticking plaster. It'll just follow. To actually go through this process uh, of having an experience, a deep experience, you know, how deep is my experience? Well, some days and some shots it's deeper than others because interference gets in the way. But do you know what? The more you practice paying attention, the more you practice exploration, the more you practice that, that, that intention, the better you get at it. The deeper you can go, the less attached to the outcome you are. And that's why... That's why a guy like Rory McIlroy or Tiger Woods, 
could stand up and make a swing without a golf ball and tell you the kind of shot he is going to hit before he even makes a swing. And then you asked him, what was that? He said, yeah, that was the shot you asked me to hit. There's no ball. How can he do that? Well, he can do it because he is aware of things that other people are not aware of. He's aware of things that you can't see. So how do we even start coaching the stuff we can't see? So that little exercise is about driving people's, forcing people's attention to a critical factor. And obviously I have to temper the, the task with people's abilities. So very simple task for at the beginning and, and then it becomes, that was a relatively complex task. Some of the tasks I would suggest to tour pros and, and the like will be super complex. Dragging them away from outcomes and dragging them away from perfect positions and dragging them into having an experience that they can learn from and change the next time around. So that's what that little quiet video was with some interference from some very nice child at some point. <laughs> we got we got the visual part though. Yeah, I know. Appreciate that. Thanks, Ken, for wrapping that up. Stu, if I could just jump to you on that to the, the depth of knowledge you have in multiple sports, what does it look like? So if I link some of the early comments where you were saying like the better coach is not relying on the drill. So what is a typical session in any of the sports that you've been involved? I know there's an array of them there. So just you know, pick any of them in the in the team sports space where you are looking at the context, the explore, the exploration of problem solving. What does that typically look like as a coach for you in the, in a session with your athletes? Um, well, first of, I've, I've lost my camera, unfortunately, um, which for most of you would probably be a beneficial thing because uh, I, <laughs> I have got a face for radio after all, which is why. I put, um, so I don't, I can't get it back. But anyway, that's the, that that's that's where we are. Um, in terms of the, the, you know, sort of in practice as skill development. So for me, I think the starting point when I'm trying to design, first and foremost, what I'm looking to try and do is to create an environment that will um, ask questions. Uh, and the questions, the, the environment will ask questions of the athletes. And and part of the, the fun of the activity will be for them to work out um, how you know, what the questions are sometimes, sometimes I'm explicit, sometimes I'm not explicit, but also um, how they can then go about answering some of those questions. So um, what I'm always trying to do with create the creation of an environment, um, and let's take something like a small sided game, let's say we're playing and we've got a 4 v 4 going on. And I'll create a, uh, a, a, a pose a question within that within that game, which might be something along the lines of I might split the split the pitch up into four or five different uh, five or six different sections, and uh, I'll say to one one group, right, you're not allowed to go into this space. You can only attack through this space. And I'll say to the other group, okay, um, what do you notice about what the other team are doing? And uh, all they'll need to do is to work out that they always seem to be going down one place. And then I'll then afterwards ask them, how are you? Uh, so what are you doing in order? If they're only going in that space, what are you doing in order to stop them having an advantage? Because they can only go through that one area. What can you do to move together in order to deal with that situation? So I'll be posing some questions. So the, the game itself will require them to ask a question. Then we might layer something new onto that. We might say, OK, right. So now um, they're going in there, but you are only able to um, put a number of people in there to be able to tackle or only three people can tackle or you can't tackle until four people have gone into the space and you're all there together because it's about creating that kind of shared movement and de dealing with different problems. So that's one example from a, from hockey, what, something that I would do. I also coach cricket. I would be coaching cricket at the moment if we weren't in lockdown. 
And in, in cricket, I'm constantly looking at creating environments that have, have relevance. We played a game a lot last year whereby um, the, the aim of the game was to um, try and get as many runs. Each, we had a batting pair and try and get as many runs as you possibly could. But you had, to, you had to hit the ball along the ground. You couldn't hit it out in the air. If you hit it in the air over the boundary, you would be out. Um, and you had to hit the ball on the ground. So you had to look for gaps and hit hit into the gaps to try and get your runs. But the fielding team, they their task was to try and get run outs. So they were always trying to pick up the ball and run the team out because they could lose the li- they could then lose lives and then they would be able to get, get a chance to bat. But we also had a rule that if there was an overthrow, that the batting team got an extra life back so they could stay in bat for longer. By the end of the by the end of the season, we noticed that we gave away we we would we would n- give away no more than about one or two overthrows in a game. Now this is with under 11s who are generally sleeping or having a daydream in the field, but they were really on it because they got really into the idea of backing up and making sure there were no overthrows, but trying to get runouts and all that sort of stuff. And I remember our position coach coming to me after a game saying, "Your team are really well drilled." I obviously shivered a little bit, but I um, but I but I took that as a compliment, and I said to him, "No, we're not, we're not, we're not drilled. We just play games all the time." And he, he looked at me as if I was like, "Wow, that's interesting." So for me, it's always some form of a game, some type of a game, and then, um, but I I will always, you know, even if I'm going to do something that's a got a little bit more about movement patterns as a focus, I'll still gamify that to in order to create uh, more engagement more absorption, more um, motivation, and more exploration of different kinds of solutions. Awesome summary, Stuart. Thanks. Really appreciate that. I mean, you know, we're looking at the time that we have in an hour to try and bring all of this and the depth of experience they have. So appreciate that you're just picking out moments. We're at the, the three for three slide now, which will link some of the questions to the chat box and then just some general questions to get an insight into how you um, where you are in your path and how you got there. So we're going to do three and three, which is um, a question to all three of you, and you've got a minute each to answer, but you probably don't even need that. First question to you, Kendall, um, who was your strongest influence in terms of coaching this way? French shoemaker, uh, golf professional on the West Coast of America. Came across his book in 1998 by pure chance, called Extraordinary Golf, and I didn't even go on the book stand to buy it, onto the book stand to buy another book because there was a book signing on by another golf coach, and I thought, I'll get a book signed. Saw this book, thought, wow, very nice. Read it, and I'm a bit dyslexic, so reading's not great. Finished the book on the way home in the plane, couldn't believe it, and phoned him the next day, and, and he started a, a completely new journey, although the first five years were complete carnage as it, as it crunched up against 20 years of other beliefs. So that was a right. So Fred Shoemaker was a, the tipping point. Amazing. Thank you. Over to you, um, Stuart, just on the back of the answer that you've given there. Question two, if you don't have the repertoire of some sort of skills template, how do you select the most appropriate ones for the situation that you're in? If you don't, oh, you mean, so if you're like a beginner and you haven't got a skills template, a, a repertoire yeah, so, yeah, of skills. Like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. say you have these that you can pick out of your head and even though That's, you will have um, where would you get that from? That's well, it's based on the idea that you need that. The, the idea is you have to have this repertoire of tech, not skills, techniques, and then you select those techniques according to the problem in front of you. That's based on that idea. Whereas I reject that concept, and um, you know, kind of the ecological uh, dynamics rejects that as an idea. What what it what we what we look at is go right. There is a problem to be solved, and you as an individual have um, a range of different attributes in front of you that require you to be able to solve that problem now some of them may be quite limited by based on what your movement repertoire is currently so what we then do is explore what the individual might need to do 
based on the problem that there's been presented to them and their physical capabilities. Because sometimes the solutions that we provide as adults to children are not suited because the children haven't got the movement repertoire that we've got, but we think they should be able to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. Quick summary, nice. Um, Marianne, last one to you. How important is it to be conscious of how you are solving motor problems? You've got a minute. That's, quick. That's, that's a tough one in a minute. You're muted there. I'll mute myself so you can talk. I was bound to do that at some point. <laughs> Good question. Um, okay, so I would say not. Most of the time, that's not the information that's important. Firstly, um, our movement system uh, self-organizes to a certain extent, based on obviously experience, you know, easy pathways through our neural system, ways in which our, our muscles and coordination works, the restrictions of our skeletal system. We, we, we actually are, um, we're sort of, we've, we've evolved and as we learn to move, a lot of our movements are coupled, they're restricted. So like our arms are coupled together. Anyone has tried doing jumping jacks where they change arms and legs going in and out will, will have noticed or patting your head and rubbing your tummy or doing this and speeding it up. So we're designed to be coupled. When we get nervous or we're not sure, we reduce our movement. When we focus on it, we reduce our movement complexity. Learning is actually about releasing that. We become more skillful by being able to have more options, more movement variability. And as Kendall and Stu have said as well, we do that through practice and through focusing our attention on information in the environment. And that might be oppositions. It might be space opening up or closing in a game. It might be water. It might be, you know, rock features. It might be the feel our horse is giving us. This is the information that allows us to respond and move. If we're paying attention to what shapes we're making, we can't be paying attention to the information that's important. Even as a gymnast, you know, you need to land the right yeah. way up safely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, brilliant. Thanks. To come in, but most yeah. out. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank, no, thanks so much. I'm just um, I'm mindful of time, and I do want to get some of the messages that you've given there in the key in the, in the key slides wrap up here. So, listen, we're just at full time here, and you know, I think one of the biggest takeaways is I'll go to you, uh, you three guys, in a minute to give us your key takeaway from there. We've put some summary ones that we've mentioned that you've heard you mention in here, um, and I'll get you just to to quickly pick out on if you were Kendall and Marianne and Stu to have one key takeaway that you'd like to share with the, the people that we have on today, what would it be? Just one of those. Kendall, if I could go to you first. Um, for me, in my industry, um, attention and awareness, exploration and creative problem solving is what drives everything, the learning, the movement pattern, everything. And, and that primarily is stuff that you can't see. So to me, Amazing. for all the coaches that are out there watching and listening to this and they're then going to go into the field and coach, uh, I would ask them to consider what is it that I can't see that could be driving this movement pattern and then what kind of problem could you ask the person to solve to ultimately change that. And in golf in particular, if you change the movement pattern, it may be so subtle you can't even see it, but as an experience for the player, it can be enormous and therefore as a coach, you've got to make sure you stay back and stick with the questioning that is going to get the feedback from the pupil about the experience they're having and not your 
you dumping in them about your knowledge and your information of what you saw because it's not that's not learning. That unfortunately is just information transfer. So I would yeah. be really interested for the guys to look at what they can't see and how they could maybe get the, 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 the handle on that. Love it. Absolutely. Stuart, if I could go to you before I go to Marianne, one key takeaway for for um to, to kind of culminate, even though you can't shoehorn everything in, what message would it be? Um I think that the one there you've got error correction is the role of the athlete, not of the coach. So um, moving away from correction towards co-creation, how can we co-create with athletes, explore with them what the possibilities are given their range of range of abilities? Um, and so design an environment that presents some of these things and then allow them to explore different ways and maybe maybe guide and nudge but allow them to explore explore, and before we jump in with the solution, allow them to find one and then we can work with them about that. Love that. I saw that in a in a tweet you put in over the weekend with co-creation design environment. I thought it was a lovely way to encapsulate a lot of what we talk about in this space. Marianne, a uh, key message from you. Um, okay. That, I mean, all of them are important, I think. I, I would go for focus on exploring movement solutions because I think even even if you can't do the activity that you normally do, you can't do the sport that you are normally doing at the moment. Um, obviously, because uh, because of we're we're in, we're in a lockdown. Um, think of something that is actually a real um, performance task, and then play around with with solutions. So that could be kicking a ball against the wall. It could be it could be doing all sorts of stuff. What can you create in your house? Mini parkour around the garden, whatever it is, so that it, it is a genuine movement um, task with and you are genuinely exploring solutions so that at least you're doing something that is that is about you becoming more aware of your body and attuned to information and tuned decisions even if they're not you know a particular um, they're, they're not a particular sport so I think I would, I would yeah. because it's something people could go away and play with yeah 100% they're all great takeaways and get good at it explore it <laughs> Well, um, you know, the, the chat box has been flying for um, the entire session. So that just shows us the depth that people are willing to um, engage and check and challenge their own knowledge. Maybe it's been a while that they haven't had a chance to, to really invest in, in why I, I do what I do and how I do it. Um, just a summary of where we're going now, if we can click on um, to the next slide, just to bring everything together. If there is something from today, as I mentioned at the start, the hashtag we're using from a social media perspective, hashtag one thing I've learned, there's you know, an array, this is one of, you know, many fantastic webinars, courses that are online, UK coaching and other areas, other people are um, involved in. If there's one nugget that you can take away, even if it's per week from today's session, we have communities of practice that are happening to help you digest these in smaller groups later in the week. And the connected coaches threads are already up and running based on some incredible questions and insight from Stu, Kendall and Marianne from today. So, um, yeah, take that hashtag and keep going. Speaking of, of um, UK coaching and everything we have, most of you will be in, under the subscription umbrella already and you'll be very much aware of all the different resources we have that we're creating to support the coach, not only during this time, but you know when we, when we go forward into that new space, when the train speeds up again. Um, if you aren't a member, you can hop on and join today um, at ukcoaching.org and see the array of stuff that we have. This is a snapshot of some of the stuff live webinars that are going on, this being one, and um, you know, the next couple of slides I can elaborate what's going on. There's e-learning courses happening all the time. This Curious Coaches Club, as you'll be aware, if you are new today, you might you might have uh, caught the bug. Next week, we have Mel Marshall, um, you know, another 
um, you know, another fantastic guest to, to add to um, the, the great six, seven weeks that we've had doing Curious Coaches Club. Nick is going to host that with Alan, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Mel Marshall's Adam PC's coaches, a lot of you may be aware. So they're going to talk about creating an athlete-centered environment. If you do want to log on to that, um, you can get on the, the link on UK on UK Coaching's website, and it's uh, next Monday at 2.15 for the hour. So make sure you sign up for that. It'll be all over our social media as well. I spoke about free webinars there. Um, the, the Black and EY session that's here, you know, it's a really tricky time. We had an announcement yesterday, understanding the legal and financial information for coaches. We are there for the coach. Um, you know, we're in, you know, continuing to be in, in state, you know, safe alert and a little bit of lockdown mode at the moment. So this will be a session um, from 12 to 1 o'clock on Friday the 22nd of May to give you some more insight, insight with Ernst & Young and um, our partners, um, to, to give us some insight for those employed, self-employed and volunteers. And um, another new member of our team, Tom, has spoken to the senior coach developer um, and national coach developer, Mark Swales, for the FA. So that'll be a really nice insight looking at building your coaching philosophy, which is you know, ever-evolving for, for some people, or maybe they haven't stopped to have a look at it. So there's some, some nuggets of information. Friday, the 5th of June, that one is there. You can take a screenshot of that. This is all on the website anyway, um, but you know, absolutely fantastic webinars for you to have a look at. Um, I did mention our social media and connected coaches is linked to our social media the uk coaching we we don't always want to be going from the inside out we're always collecting information on the coaches what the needs are where the support network is needed and and so we started some polls during this tricky time to look and see where people are are finding the daily polls going out and we're getting that information and that's fueling the, the the resources that we have so there's loads of links that you have in my, this one particularly on twitter but they're connected coaches links and it's always it's the community feeding in so it doesn't have to be any webinars if you don't like to be on camera you don't have that time it's something you can have on your phone um where there's a new thread gone up today creative coaching in lockdown on the back of yesterday's um, release of information. So that thread it will be the whole community of coaches and our extended population feeding into that thread. Lastly, today, before I say a big thank you, how do you get your certificate? We want to, to um, you know, connect you with, you know, if you are in a, in a tricky position where you are furloughed or you have time, extra time that you're squeezing in and we really, really value your insight, the um, engagement that you have in the group here. Here's a certificate to look um, and build on your, your CPD portfolio. So you can go to ukcoaching.org forward slash we and um, in those three easy steps or you can use your smartphone on a QR code. Um, I think some of the links have been put in the group there. They see they're flying up. So um, all, all I've left to say is thank you. Um, we are trying to shoehorn a incredibly, incredibly important topic in. And I think one of the things as I was skimming my eyes over the chat box here to wrap it up is understanding the language, taking time to listen. Like there are some really valuable statements that have been made there and deep experiences, movements emerging from problem solving, technique over skill, and, and maybe some that we've just taken in that kind of vortex of words during our years of coaching. I said, oh, I'll take all this without dissecting what each of those words mean and not just going, oh, well, I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that. So um, you will be able to get a recording of this on the website. There will be communities of practice to help you digest and anything that's resonated or you shifted you in your seat today, you can connect with that. But a, a really, really big thank you, Ken, for giving up your time today. Um, your experience, I mean, it's absolutely invaluable. And I've really, really enjoyed immersing myself in a, a theoretical, practical connection with you today. Sure, it's the same, an array of sports, 
you know, head of coaching um, it, you know, with Sport England, you have your eyes on so many areas and for you to be able to just pick and, um, and choose some of those areas to give us a little bit of insight today in the array of sports, absolutely fantastic and thank you very much. Marianne, how lucky am I in our team and an SME in this space? Absolutely fantastic. Thanks for sharing your insight. I know you had a dual role hat on you today. Um, we've run over time. Thank you to everybody today who's engaged and joined in the chat. I hope it started off the week really well. Um, and uh, we'll see you in the community practice or on the, the Connected Coaches thread, which will kick off today. Thank you, everybody. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.